Warning. What you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. And he's like, he's like, man, I wish there had been someone to hear that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, hi guys. This is the Trashy Podcast. I'm Elliot, joined as always by Keith. This is the podcast where we're out to prove that there are no garbage movies, only garbage opinions. We're giving these discarded gems or massive blockbuster financial successes a uh, second second look. Yeah, so normally we do the stuff where it's like movies that were not popular or people hated or whatnot. But we are doing a, yeah, a massive hit that has a sequel coming which is last year's The Batman. Uh, and it's been a year. The dust has settled, so we're going to revisit it and talk about where it sits into the Batman uh, legacy, I guess. The oeuvre. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, I'll, get, I'll get right to it, buddy. Yeah. Uh, you said it's been a year and the dust has settled. I don't know if it's been long enough. I yeah. had real complicated feelings about this, and I, I feel like that's becoming a trend with me, but with Batman specifically, it's so complicated. It, this is I wish I could have... I, I feel like you had the ideal experience with this. I wish I could have just gone and saw this in a dark theater uh, mm-hmm. with like a small crowd, you know? Like as it was sort of waning at the box office and that would have been perfect for me but i didn't get that opportunity so i've watched it at home uh on hbo home box office and uh i got a lot of uh a lot of feelings about it yeah because you just watched this recently just like a month or two ago right um i don't think it was that i think it was sometime last year what that... maybe not i can't remember well it's yeah, maybe still it was relative... like january or february yeah it was still relatively recently it's probably know, it valentine's day when, when the yeah so a month or two ago keith jeez sure um yeah so it wasn't that long ago regardless uh and we had done a while back i think it was like one of the last shows we did it was either one of the last shows we did before the pandemic or one of the uh, first shows we did after the pandemic. I'm going to look it up and uh, tell you right now. Which where we did like, it was, was about the, a show called The Batman, where we just talked about, or The Batman, where we just talked about our favorite actors who have portrayed Batman, who who did it best, whatnot, and we vowed to, at some point, uh, talk about this movie once it came out. Our favorite men that who resemble bats. Whoa, this we did that before the Egg Chronicles. Oh yeah. Holy shit. Like I said, it was one of, I think it was either one of the last or one of the first. It was two years ago. <laughs> well, yeah, because this movie got shit. massively delayed and then we just didn't you didn't see the movie until like a week ago. Oh my god. My perception of time is so I feel like a time traveler half the time. I don't feel like I'm getting senile or like uh like I don't lose my place, but just my perception of sort of distance 
from things is like way off. I think that's been pretty normal for people after the last uh, couple of years and the pandemic and whatnot. It just kind of fucked with people pretty hard. I know it certainly has with me. Um, I feel like it happened all like 20 years ago and also last week. Yeah. You know who else is struggling with the past? Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I can get right into this too. You're uh, goddamn so, right. <laughs> uh, my your feelings about this are complicated. My feelings about it are incredibly not complicated. Yeah. I have a lot to say. I didn't like necessarily everything, but for me, this is the best Batman movie by a mile, and it is Barbara Pattinson is also the best Batman as well. Although there are some caveats with how it plays in with Michael Keaton, but I discuss those a little bit more later on. But yeah, to me, this is undoubtedly like far and away the best Batman movie. Yeah, I think and, we can we can avoid uh, any direct comparisons with any of the other Batman movies and series because the Tim Burton films sort of are on their own as far as like being their own world and all that business. I don't think there's even really a uh, because they're so stylistically right. Yeah, I in that respect, like that's like Batman the Opera or something, you know. So it is its own thing. I cannot talk about this movie without comparing it to the Nolan film. So yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. I think there's a lot of uh, parallels, and uh, I, I think it's it's way more fair to look at that because there's there's a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of differences right so i think that's and, that's okay and not only the just those similarities but like just you know like this movie like we said this movie was a hit critically well received but there's just seems to be this like weird undying like like fanboy like rage that no movie could be better than the dark knight um which is just i don't know i find it I find that annoying where some people latch onto something so hard that they can't be open to anything else. I'll tell you right now, man, like I like the Dark Knight. I like the Nolan films. The further we get away from their release, the goofier Batman looks in that world. Oh, yeah. Because it is like a very realistic world. And the more I look at that suit and it's not poorly designed by any stretch. It just looks absolutely absurd. Yes. Uh, that this adult grown man is what, even with all the tactical parts and the scientific blah, blah, blahs and the doodly doo doos. He's got a big Cape and these bat ears and he looks fucking ridiculous. And that stupid voice like that thing gets dumber every year that I hear it. Like, Sorry, Christian Bale, but uh, you tried too hard on that yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, particularly since he like keeps amping the voice up, you know, like in the in Batman Begins, he's doing the voice a little bit, and then in Dark Knight, it's more, and Dark Knight Rises, it's even more. Yeah, which is like, what's going on? But whatever. And now the more the more Batman movies that come out, uh, other performers have something to build off of. They can look at all these other performances and go, nope, nope. Nope, not that, not that. That's too much. That's not enough. Uh, 
like I said in our Batman episode, I think what they did with Ben Affleck was perfect. Like the voice alteration yeah. uh, device, like that was cool and kind of ideal. So you don't go too over the top. Uh, I think Robert Pattinson did a pretty great job uh, controlling his, I don't know, tones or whatever you want to call it. He just kind of, he doesn't really necessarily change his like voice overall, but more so like he changes the way he talks, you know? Yeah. Uh, It's like the way someone might talk in their casual life and they're like, okay, now I'm going into a business meeting and this is how I'm going to talk now. I'm not saying he talks like he's in a business meeting, but it's like that level of difference of just changing your presentation a little bit rather than changing everything, trying to change everything about how you sound. Yeah, and everything he's doing is an extension of the character, right? It's like we we talk about thing these things like in this little box of oh the voice the suit the this the that but uh in in this movie bruce wayne is still in his mourning period this is this is basically batman year one which is even though it's year two uh Mm -hmm. according to his diary but he is still new to being batman right this is still a fresh thing with a lot of unknowns and his skill set is still kind of iffy and he doesn't do a lot of like acrobatics and crawling on rooftops he's mostly just walking around and taking the subway yeah (laughs) which i mean like yeah we'll get into all this but all that stuff i really love and um so it does yeah it does start it's year two it starts part way into there's no origin story here essentially like we don't see him building the suit or digging up the the bat cave or any of that crap it just starts he already pre-exists do you th- and i and i appreciate that and i like it in, in the context of this movie however do you think that would work if this was not a pre-existing character do you think you if this was an original character could you think you could just start the movie like this i think you could if, yeah. if you're showing i mean they it's it's hard to separate what we already know from batman but it was a smart decision given the fact that this character is so like ingrained in people's minds. Mm-hmm. Every, you know, most people who give a give a, even a small damn about this character know what the deal is and they fill in, you know, whatever story gaps they want, you know, through exposition and whatever else. But showing the Batcave and showing how he, you know, operates and showing him getting dressed, you know, putting on the suit in the subway and at the iceberg lounge and things like that like you get it and showing him like immediately at the opening of the movie uh you know stalking someone yeah <laughs> is it's oh. I, that's the perfect way to present oh, it oh no no are you talking about the very opening shot yeah that's not him that's not him that's the riddler wait a second where it's like he's got the binoculars and you hear the heavy breathing yeah, yeah, and then the Riddler goes inside, but isn't there another, uh, there's, maybe that scene's later, where Bruce is watching somebody. Oh, yeah, he does plenty of that, but okay, that opening that's shot, that's, that's the Riddler, but you honestly, what's kind of cool is, you know, from that opening shot, it takes a while for you, you don't really know what's going on, Yeah, right, because you just have this big title that says The Batman, and then it instantly cuts to this, yeah, this POV shot, of someone watching somebody through binoculars. 
Um, you don't know what's happening. You don't know if that's Batman or somebody else. And this right out of the gates, this movie kind of feels a lot different than any uh, comic book movie we've seen prior, which is exactly how I felt about Batman Begins when it came out, you know, yeah. and credit where credit is due. Like, uh, you know, I might, you know me, I'll take any excuse I have to talk crap on Christopher Nolan. That's not to say that he hasn't made good movies or his movies that are flawed aren't still entertaining or, or whatnot. Uh, I just don't think he deserves like this, the level of praise of this like untouchable master that he gets. No, I mean, he, if he's failing, he's still failing at a very high level that a lot right. of uh, creative folks will never even see. But Right. I mean, I, th- I think he's, yeah, I think he's a guy who's kind of a little bit too up his own ass, and uh, he obviously has a lot of technical skill as a filmmaker, but perhaps narratively he uh, falters or just has way too many plot holes in his stuff, whatever. I don't, that's beside the point for this moment, but... You know, like I do think Batman Begins kind of set up a structure of like how superhero movies would be made going forward. And at the time, I remember sitting in the theater and being like, this is the best superhero movie I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And I'd argue that Batman Begins is the still the best out of that trilogy. It's definitely like it's that one or it's Dark Knight Rises. I mean, we did a whole, another episode on like uh, it wasn't this Batman's solo episode, but we did talk about how we liked those two more than the dark knight um in a previous episode which you can find on our and listen to if you want uh but i felt this and then when i was watching this one i've had that same feeling but even more and that's after like you know just being oversaturated in superhero movies for the past 15 years yeah and so to do that right now where I'm already sick of superhero movies and then be like, oh, no, you've just taken it to this next other level with a character I think that's incredibly hard to adapt to the screen for a lot of reasons. Um, and like one of the universe brought up things like, oh, it, suit looks goofy, you know, most of the time. Uh, as really, It's really, really impressive. And I do think that this starting two years in works, not just because... You have the the previous the, as, as a society with a collective knowledge of like who Batman is, but because of just how well they do the lived-in quality of the movie and where everything feels like it's like it has been happening, and the little bits of backstories and the in the craftsmanship of the storytelling, it all works. They do a similar thing in um, the first uh, MCU Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man: Homecoming, you know, where they kind of jump over his origin story. And that one doesn't work if if you don't have previous knowledge. You know, if you don't know who Spider-Man is, that one that one wouldn't really work. But it works here. Yeah, I mean at at its core it's about a traumatized guy who is now acting as a vigilante in a city that is plagued by corruption. Right? It doesn't it doesn't ultimately it doesn't necessarily matter that he's a bat guy or whatever, right. like, or where he got his gadgets, or where he trained, and all that bullshit, like, this is a, this is a crime movie, this is a, a like, a serial killer movie, this is a, a uh, I mean, maybe it's not a noir, but this, this is a like movie about what's happening on the streets right now. I think it's, I think it's a, I think it, could very well be considered a noir 
It has a lot of those tropes. Um, it's not perhaps that quite as, as stylistic as a noir, you know, um, but I think it definitely fits into the neo-noir category. And you can see a lot of the influences for is like... Yeah, for better or for worse, you can see the influences. Right. I mean, like you see Seven, you see Chinatown, you, you see... You see Seven. Is yeah. Seven is not just seen. It's like running you over with yeah. a bus. Uh, I don't think that's per, a bad thing per se, but no. in several instances, it's a little too obvious and a little too heavy-handed. Perhaps, yeah. I don't see. It doesn't. I never really feel that way too much about this because it's just. He has a line. Paul Dano, uh, mm-hmm. as the Riddler, has a line that's almost word for word uh, a Kevin Spacey line from from Seven. <laughs> you know, it's a perhaps, bit much. But I think I too, like, it's down like, boys. I f- I almost feel like it, even though Seven is far more grounded in in reality in the sense that there's no superheroes or people in costumes and whatnot, the Riddler character in this seems more believable than the John Doe character in seven. You know, the John Doe character in seven, like seven is a rad movie. It's, you know, like no question about, no question about it. Well, like the John Doe character is a little ethereal in a, in, in a way, you know, or he's just a mysterious guy with no identity and he has been these elaborate plans and they all go off perfectly without a hitch, you know, and it, he's orchestrated this huge thing. And there's a lot of that with th- this, this movie's Riddler, but it's, even though there's a costume involved as a character and a personality and, and, and what's going on in this person's brain, he seems more grounded to me. Like, bafflingly enough that like the comic book guy seems more grounded well he's Um, also you know they demonstrate how he's using modern tools and uh sort of an arm a makeshift army in order to do what he needs to do right um so there's there's at least evidence that uh he's not just one man able to achieve incredible things with his dizzying intellect it's more so that he has a message that people uh you know are resonating with right and i want one of the things about this movie that i have to praise a bunch is just that is the riddler character and not just the riddler character but how they've handled villains in this movie in general because one like i was impressed that they made riddler a good villain because Historically, he's just like a second-rate Joker, and he's so and he's definitely one of the goofiest. I'm characters. so glad you chose that set of words that you just uttered. Second-rate Joker. Yeah, because that's exactly what my problem is with him here. Because conceptually, he's very strong with the the sort of the incel Unabomber. Uh, zodiac type mixture and you know using modern communication tools and all that but Mm -hmm. then paul dano's performance goes off the rails and he starts like giggling and laughing and having these outbursts and talking about how batman inspired him and they're connected and and it just that works 
That works so much for me. But it just becomes like those are all just like Joker hallmarks. That's all the same the same shit that uh, you would hear from the Joker in in sure. a, almost any iteration. Sure, but I mean, like, yes, correct. Like you know, like oh, I'm a reflection of you. But it's I find it to be like in most of those a little bit more shallow, and also because the Joker is a little bit more mysterious of like who he is and where he comes from. It kind of falls into that, like, John Joe character that we were talking about that feels yeah. a little bit more ethereal. Where in this, it's like, I really think they did a good job of setting up how these villains are reflections of the Batman, you know? And yeah. This is arguably the best execution of that when they say, you know, the Batman uh, created his rogues gallery and created right. this wave of new crime uh right in in his wake you know there's like this sort of environmental reaction to his existence right like he even says in his opening narration uh which is a, I, I i remember you texting me like oh i'm listening to some corny dialogue i'm like yes it is corny but it works because it's this internal monologue of this guy who's kind of crazy yeah you know himself you know and he says he says crime has been up since he's appeared, right? So he's having a negative influence, right? right. <laughs> but he, but he's, or at least you can make an argument that he's having a negative influence. Uh, but he's just so like obsessed that this is what he can't do, you know, has to do. Uh, the Riddler, the way he talks about it, how they think, how he thinks, you know, he's not just a reaction to Batman where like Joker is like, oh, I'm a reaction to him. I'm going to be his foil and this is going to be my obsession. Like he thinks... Riddler in this thinks that him and Batman are in cahoots. You know, he thinks they're working together. That's one of my favorite moments is when he realizes that Batman is not on his team and he's like, oh, you're stupid. Yeah. He's like, Batman's way dumber than I thought. <laughs> I yeah. love that so much. But then, so that's great. And also his like explanation of why he chose to wear a costume too. He's like, yeah. he goes, everything that thing he says to him, he goes, he's talking to Batman and he goes, everyone wants to know who you are, but they're missing the whole point. You're much more impressive with the mask. Like with the mask, you can be anyone you want to be, right? And you get this kind of like psychological explanation as to why someone else might copy that. Because I think that's the problem that you run into with translating Batman from the comic books. Because in the comic books even, he's like the the realistic you know, superhero. He's the regular guy who just has like, he's a really good fighter and has money. And yeah, he has a vast limitless fortune. (laughs) Right. That's his superpower. But he's the regular guy, but he's the regular guy in a world that also has Superman and Wonder Woman. Right. He is a non-powered. Right. So it's, it's still in a world where there's all these characters that exist. And then so you can have villains of his like Mr. Freeze and Clayface and stuff. When you're translating this into the real world in a live action movie and, and choosing it to in a, in, a, in a universe where there aren't Superman or Wonder Woman or all these other characters, it's just him. Then it kind of becomes a little bit more difficult to translate those villains as well. You know, Joker, in, you know, works because it's just like, oh, it's a crazy guy who put on clown makeup, you know, and he's like reacting to Batman. But then you got to kind of get into like, why is there Catwoman? Why is there Bane? You know, why? Like in The Dark Knight Rises, oh, it's just a coincidence that 
Bane needs to wear this face mask and have a funny name. Like he's like, oh, I need this mask to live. But like, well, oh, Bane's how not a funny name. Bane is a cool name. I'm not saying it's it's not a cool name in in the overall sense, but it's just like people don't do this, right? So if you're saying this is the real world, and then all of a sudden you just have, and now this guy's a bad guy, and now this guy's a superhero, and now this guy's wearing a costume, it's it's a it, it becomes a little bit harder to buy, you know. Whereas in this explanation of why someone might do it, really just kind of like, yep, I believe it now. We're good. Let's move on to the to the next to the next thing. You know, it com- completely surplants it as a plausible thing. And I also like the way p- characters react to Batman himself. You know, other like other people look at him, like the cops look at him, and uh, at one point Carmen Falcone looks at him and goes like, "Look at you, man! You look ridiculous." And everyone like comments that he kind of that this is his whole getup is kind of stupid. You know, it's not like people aren't looking at it and saying like oh you look cool they're like like you're a psychopath and you look goofy and i can't take you seriously you know yeah and i i love all those scenes where he's like at the cr- a crime scene and he just sticks out and everyone's like this is weird they're not yeah. but they're not laughing and that's i think that's the big difference maker is no one's like giggling and pointing or like trying to take selfies with them everyone's uncomfortable Right, and they they present it in such a way that the suit does look cool. Yeah, but when he's standing around normal people doing normal things, it's weird. Right. Yeah, and I love it. I love that line where Carmen Falco is like, "Look at you, man! Like, look at this getup! Like, what are you trying to do? You look like an idiot." Yeah, you know, it it really just kind of sells all that, and the suit is awesome. Conceptually, it's awesome. In the fact that I remember when we when they first did like production stills or little like promos, I was like, I don't know about this suit, you know. Just but once I actually yeah. saw it within the movie, how much it looks like a real thing that someone could have built, you know, instead of like just like like you said, the suits in the Dark Knight, like removed a couple years, look ridiculous. Like Batman looks goofy as fuck. Um, even his tactical one that's supposed to be more like realistic that comes out in the dark Knight is way over designed. Yeah. And it uses like, this is something like kind of like always bothered me in the Nolan movies is that it's supposed to be like surplanted in the real world. And there's all these explanations for, uh, his tech and all this stuff. But the explanations are like, Oh, I have this company that makes fake tech and I'm going to use that fake tech to make this suit right and that's the explanation it's it's not it's still not a real world explanation where in this movie it's like everything he has seemingly could exist you know and could be made by by a person more or less yeah it's a little more cobbled together and even like you know like his flying cape in the dark knight it's he has some imaginary technology that will turn his cape into uh, like a hang glider and whatnot. In this, where it turns into a squirrel suit, I'm not so sure about the physics of how you pull a thing on your chest and like your cape attaches like that and all that stuff. There's a little stretch of the imagination there, but a squirrel suit is something real, you know. It's not. It's explaining at least it's explaining it with a real technology rather than a fake technology. And that scene is fucking awesome, where he jumps off the building and glides through the city and then crashes. Oh, when he crashes, it's the perfect. Because if he would have, like, 
you know, made that stuck that landing perfectly without having done anything remotely acrobatic or wild the entire movie, I would have spit on my television. Well, I also love in that scene where he like he gets to the ledge and he like is scared. Yeah, he's like, oh, shit, is this going to work? <laughs> he looks over and he goes, whoa, 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 you know, and I feel like that's maybe something that some people didn't like because like Batman's not like that, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, that's pretty cool because, you know, and Batman begins, he just starts jumping off of buildings left and right, you know, the second he has that, you know, wingsuit for the first time and like it's like it's nobody's business. Yeah, we're getting the rookie Batman who's still working out the kinks and probably doesn't have much of a shelf life uh, anyway. Like, you know, we always talk about, like, how long could Batman be Batman? It's like five years max, and he's toast. Like, no, the human body could not, even in peak physical conditioning and all the money in the world, like, you're not going to last. No. Um. I just lost my train of thought. Sorry. Uh, uh, we were talking about uh, how ridiculous he looks. Right. So he looks like a fucking idiot. <laughs> but like, but by making that, by making that, having characters acknowledge that rather than try and like remove yourself from it, it allows me as an audience member to go like forget about my own hangups about it. Like when I go like, when I stop and think about how silly it is, I'm like, oh yeah, it is silly. And the world acknowledges that. And because the world acknowledges it, it doesn't, it's not goofy in, in the world of the movie anymore. It's just, you know what I mean? Yeah, it definitely was more interesting getting that, like him standing around and walking around and whatever in these situations versus like perched on a gargoyle or, you know, swinging off a building or you know, standing in an alleyway or something. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's, it's just kind of like, it's, I don't know. I think also it does a really good job. I think this is the most comic accurate depiction of the Batman and the, uh, the movie that gets the personality of Batman the most spot on. And that's even taken into account. I'm like, obviously there's all these different iterations that have happened over the past, like nearly hundred years now. You know, there's like you have the the sixties goofy Batman and all this stuff, but just like the kind of the overall like what has been the persistent characteristics of him that have kind of either always come back or just maintained throughout all this. This is the movie I think that really nails it. And that's another one of my problems with the Nolan movies is I think there's some fundamental misunderstanding of who Batman is, you know? Like the Batman in the Nolan movies is like I don't buy that character dressing up as a bat because he doesn't seem really invested in it. You know, uh, he, he does, he keeps talking about how he doesn't want to do this forever, how he just wants to restore the status quo almost, you know, it's like, he, he just wants to get like, uh, he's just like, Oh, once I get a good, uh, DA in office, I can retire, you know, which your, your substitute for a DA is a, is a, is a wacko in a bat suit, you know? Yeah, he's a little bit too level-headed for a guy who dresses up like a bat. Right. Whereas in this one, it's like, oh no, like he's crazy. He's yeah, obsessed. Yeah, he's real fucked up. Yeah, he's like, he's not like he's not. What he's doing is not, uh, like a logical uh, step in fighting 
corruption. Or and, even just getting justice for his parents or right. whatever. Whatever well, his and mission that's, is. I mean, like that's what say that's what they make the whole point is that he's he's not seeking for justice, he's seeking for vengeance, you know, initially. And then, you know, at the end he has that that realization that like, oh yeah, maybe I am not that different from the Riddler. You yeah. know. Riddler's going about it a different way, but our motivations are very, very similar. Um, and so in this turn, he's just like one of the f- only Batman movies where he has an actual character arc. Which does make me slightly nervous for a sequel, because if he now has become super level-headed and seen the error of his ways, well then how does his character play out? As a guy who still dresses up as a bat. And without therapy? Right. That seems a little far-fetched to me. Right. It's hard There's to no... make those t- that type of progress. Just right. on your so... own, observing people in these extreme situations. Yeah, so I'm hope- I'm hoping that this doesn't fall into any of those sequel traps as we move forward. But, I don't know, like Matt Reeves, who wrote and directed this, is, I think, proving to be like one of the best tentpole not just best tentpole directors working now but like maybe of the past like 30 years i mean between this and his two planet of the apes movies yeah you love his monkey movie his monkey movies are really good he's really good even cloverfield which was like i not like i'm not a movie i'm really into i think it was like a very well done version of that you know uh so I don't know. Like I, I'm very. What about intrigued. his WB drama Felicity, which ran from 1998 to 2002? Now that wasn't his though, right? He directed some episodes, but that was a that was a JJ Abrams thing. He co-created it with JJ Abrams. Oh, he did. I didn't know he co-created. It. Yeah, I know. You, well, if you did. want to get into the secret history of Felicity, we can do that. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> uh, but no, he did kind of start out like his first movie is a comedy drama. Uh, from like the mid '90s, and then he doesn't make another movie again for until Cloverfield. Uh, and then after that, he moves on to big tentpole things. I really saw an interview with him. And he said, like, originally, like I saw my career making is making more like kind of Hal Ashby esque type, you know, comedy dramas, um, like small movies. And then my career just kind of shifted like that. And I and I'm just as now what I'm doing, and it's cool, and like I can still make those types of stories, but they're just in a world of monkeys and bats that's so weird it's so weird just to look at this from like a raw standpoint of him going from cloverfield to let me in and then all of a sudden planet of the apes yeah oh let me in also like we've talked about that on the show recently and that's another great one you know uh So really, yeah. So even though like I have some like maybe minor like concerns of this, like can you ca- capture lightning in a bottle twice? If anyone can, I think it's probably him. Um, yeah. Let's see here. Uh, what are some other highlights for you in this movie? Uh, even though I don't think that uh, there was any real, uh, I don't. It seems just completely random, but. Uh, the performance of oh, what's that Irish guy's name? Uh, Colin Farrell. Yeah, Colin Farrell's performance as the Penguin, Sans monocle. 
uh, is pretty great. Yeah, I think there's a couple moments where he gets a little like kind of like to Edward G. Robinson, like, yeah, see, you know, uh, gangster. But it's just like little tiny little specks. And then when he's not, when he's in other scenes where he's playing it down a little bit more, it's really great. And there's actually a deleted scene uh, that I saw of him just like talking to Selena Kyle and talking about how like no one takes him serious. And, you know, like I was just an ugly schmuck that like, everyone underestimates. I really wish that they had kept in the movie, but. Yeah, his it's... position as like a mid-level mob guy is pretty interesting, and the the idea that like uh, when his boss goes down, like he's gonna make a power grab. Yeah, that's kind of a cool setup for you know what is usually a uh, a very cartoonish character. Yeah, and just that 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 translation right there of just like okay, like instead of him being like this like. G- yeah, like you said, cartoonish character who's obsessed with birds and has like a six foot long nose. Like just having him be a guy who's, uh, you know, kind of overweight with a slightly bigger nose and a gangster who might have a nickname and that that was originally something that people used to make fun of him. Yeah, you know, I think that trans really translates really well into make not making this character like ridiculous and and plausible. And they're gonna have that whole like a. Uh, there's going to be a whole like show about him, like a little like six episode or 10 episode show on HBO about him, like kind of rising the power after the aftermath, aftermath of this movie that takes place in between this movie and the next, you know? So I kind of hope that like maybe the main focus of a villain in, in, in the second movie is, is, is Penguin instead of trying to shoehorn in another character and just kind of and and overloading the rogue gallery, you know, type of thing. But we'll see. Yeah, I'm trying not to set my expectations anywhere. I'm already kind of all mobbed out after this movie. Yeah. I'm so sick of all the Falcone, Maroni, Fettuccine, Alfredo bullshit. Yeah. Like, I don't care about any of these guys. I don't even really care about Thomas Wayne and this whole, like, was he a good man or was he a bad man? I don't know. It things don't look good for Thomas Wayne. I, I don't care. Well, I don't care about <laughs> Thomas Wayne, but it did have like an interesting effect. You know, it added it added another layer, layer to Bruce Wayne in this, and I mean, it gave him something to talk to Alfred about at right. least. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had anything to discuss. Right. Well, that, yeah, that's, I think, an important thing. Like, normally, they like, what is their relationship? You know, why why do they even care about each other? Uh, other than, you know, you little kid, I, adult, I felt bad for you type of thing. I didn't uh, like Alfred in this movie. I don't think it uh, was poorly executed or bad. I, it's just personal preference. To see him, like, solving crimes alongside Bruce and then like talking about how he taught him how to fight and all that. I was like, what? This doesn't make so sense. So the solving crimes alongside of Bruce is something that does have like precedent in within the comics. I mean, and, I guess, but and so, do, and so is him having like, you know, uh, cause first off, like in the, like Alfred is like, like he doesn't show up in the comics. I think until like the fifties, maybe it's the forties. Um, but it's like, multiple years after uh, 
Batman's original creation, Alfred just shows up, and then they kind of retcon everything to have having him having always been there. But there is a precedent of him like helping hit Batman solve crimes. You know, there's also, I think this is a relatively more modern thing, but there's now a backstory with Alfred having been in MI6. You know, you know before working for the Waynes. Yeah, so, definitely. And I remember I liked in the Batman the Animated Series when he would get into like a caper and like trip yes. somebody with his umbrella or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was fun. But I don't know. Here in the movie, I feel like it just kind of takes away from uh, from Batman. And it, especially Andy Serkis is kind of a he's a little bit of a burly dude. And yeah. he is almost too much of a physical presence. Yeah, I can see that. I also I one thing I don't like is kind of I mean I guess they don't specifically say that Alfred is the only person who trained him. Yeah. But there it kind of like by not saying anything else. Yeah, I wish they would have just not mentioned it. Yeah, it kind of suggests that that's where all of his training came from. Like and I'm not saying I want something where we go back and like you know, the typical stuff where Batman goes to Japan and trains with a samurai on top of a mountain, you know, yeah. uh, and then like tr- somehow goes back 200 years to ancient China and learns from uh, a drunken master type of type of scenario or Pai Mei type scenario type of thing. I'm not asking for that, but I do think it's a little just kind of like, oh, so your butler just taught you how to fight? Even if he had been in the army or something, like I don't know, it's just a little bit lacking. So yeah. I would agree. I would agree with that. Like in that aspect of the Alfred character, the way it's kind of set up, I wasn't too keen on that particular piece. But overall, I think, I think while there wasn't a ton going on with them, it does set up a dynamic that could be explored more in depthly in, in future installments, you know, and that's kind of the crazy thing is like this movie is like almost three hours long. And at times it feels like it could have been longer, you know, like you could have added a little bit more even, you know, um, it definitely for its length, it works a lot better and feels way less bloated than say the dark Knight. Yeah. Which felt like it had too many endings and too many kind of climaxes to wrap up. Right. With all these different characters uh, kind of doing the same things. Uh, so I I definitely don't mind the runtime in this case. They do a great job mixing it up with the police procedural stuff and the action and jumping around with the different characters and making sure that no one is sort of uh, left behind or kind of hogging the spotlight. So that's Yeah, that's the... That, uh, you know, I'm glad you brought up action because there's actually not a ton of action in this movie. No. But when it's there, boy, howdy, is it? it it's pretty- some of the most exciting and incredible looking just Batman stuff mm-hmm. that you've ever seen in film. The, the car chase is like, I mean, like. Yo, that's not just a car chase, right? Yeah. That's a fucking car chase in the rain. Yeah. Like, you don't do that. It's like, not, like, as, as um as like, elaborate as some of the other car chases, but the fact that it's not and it's more grounded makes it more visceral to it's me. It's tense. You know? It's you know? so tense. Where, like, yeah, and, like, the 
Batman Begins, it's like, oh, cool, he's got this special car that jumps, you know, across the rooftops and all that stuff, and that's all cool and whatnot. Uh, but, like, there's always that part in the bat. I mean, none of this stuff is real, right? I, I was watching something where, like, they had to make three different cars for the Batmobiles for the car chase, each one to do a different thing because, you know, only one could do a jump, but that's all it could do. And the other one could do this, you know, like it's not real. But if you're selling me on the, the fact that it's real, that's all that matters. In the back of my head, I know there's no mega tank that can fly, you know. Uh, so as cool as those 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 chases in, in Batman Begins and The Dark Knight are, like this one's always going to feel more tense to me because it just feels more grounded yeah it was, you know? it was a, a chase through traffic in the rain and there's all these like you know braking sequences and trying to fit in between semis and things like it felt very familiar this felt yes. like you know a this felt like real commuter traffic and it mm-hmm. was brutal and you still but you still got the amazing like a hero moment for batman that didn't feel like forced or like, uh, like shoehorned in. Like it felt right. pretty organic. The setup was very impressive. Absolutely. Like that part where he goes like through the flames, and there's a little delay, and they think the penguin's like, "Oh, I got him!" Right, and then he just comes out. Fr- Francis was was she threw her hands up in the air like <laughs> like when that happened. She was like, "Oh my god!" You know, and whatnot, and like that part where. I love that part where the penguin's car flips and then Batman gets out and it's from penguin's POV cause he's hanging upside down. So it looks like Batman's walking upside down and the rain's falling up, you know, in terms yeah. of like a hero shot. And another thing I think that does a really good job of, of making this like idea of a hero, like a superhero in this grounded movie is the score to this movie. The music in this movie is so good. Yeah, whatever that that signature Batman theme is with that piano, mm-hmm. uh, like that low sort of baritone bass, just like, Gum. yeah, that thing's awesome. And that was actually, I guess, written before there was even a script. Music people, correct me. I probably yeah. what I just said probably doesn't make sense, but you know what I'm talking about. They yes, play it a exactly. bunch. Yeah, the the main Batman theme, you know. Uh, it's phenomenal. And then also even like the uh like when he's fighting people, it doesn't seem so much like he's just like this unstoppable juggernaut. You know, he's like maybe taking on like five or six guys, but he gets beat up in this, you know, like he gets knocked down. Like at times there's there's a towards the end there's a part where he's like, Well, my number's up. I just got hit and I I don't have the energy to get back up and this guy's standing over me with a shotgun. We need to you talk know, about that scene. There is okay. a, that is a hotly debated scene apparently about what yeah. the fuck uh, this green goo is. Okay, it's not venom. <laughs> it's you not don't think venom. It's, venom? It's, there's no debate here. It's like these fucking nerds going like, is that venom's vein? Like, or Bane's venom? So for those of you who don't know, there's a character called in Batman comics called Bane, uh who's also in the dark Knight rises, but he's a little bit different in the comic books in the sense that he has this artificial steroid called venom that he has to have a constant supply of, or like he dies and it also makes him like huge and like out of control. And like they were, he got developed in this like secret, uh, uh, central American 
prison and they tested it all these prisoners and it killed them all and and Bane was the only guy who that it didn't kill because uh, he's tough and it's, and it's green in 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 the uh, in the comics. Well, just hold your horses there, Elliot, before you get too uh, hot under the collar because I just want to loop you in on the fact that there is a limited series Batman run where in order to meet the rising tide of criminal activity and increased number of super villains, Batman temporarily becomes addicted to Venom. Hmm. And by the end, he he gives all the Venom that he has to Alfred and then he locks himself in the bat cave for three months in order to go cold turkey off that venom. And when he emerges, he's got like a cool like rehab beard. Well, you know, there's also like a storyline in the comic books where Batman becomes unstuck in time and like becomes like caveman Batman. Oh yeah, and, and then there's Batman. one where he's a Dracula. A Dracula you ever Batman. catch the one where he's a Dracula? So, I mean, there's all those <laughs> things, too. So, I mean, like, <laughs> this is not Venom. It's, it's There's this thing called adrenaline that you can get, and you can stab into yourself and inject yourself with it, and it will have the exact same effect that it has in this movie. If it was made green, like, specifically on purpose, it's with, at, at most, it's just like a little, like, kind of, like, nod to the Venom. He probably did Venom. that so he doesn't lose it. Right, if he drops it in the dark, he's like, "Oh, there's my, there's my adrenaline too." I think here's what I'm a, con- a connoisseur of energy drinks. Yes, there is a very, I don't know if it's popular, but it is a staple at many uh, gas stations and convenience stores. It is the Amp Energy Signature Mountain Dew energy there we drink, go. and so it is modeled in look and flavor after the original Mountain Dew soda, but it's packed with the caffeine and B vitamins and whatever else you need in order to fight crime or sit at a desk and type emails or whatever you require. Exactly. So it's to do. That's what that's what it was. He was just shooting up yes. <laughs> it was amp energy Mountain Amp Dew. energy. <laughs> No, I'm sure. I love that this is a debate too, because I'm sure if you could just go online and Google the Batman screenplay, and you could find it, and I'm sure it would just say adrenaline. I will say though, when I think about it, this version of Batman—if there was gonna be a Batman that's gonna get temporarily addicted to Venom in order to fight crime—it's mm-hmm. gonna be this one. I could, yeah. I could see it fitting into this, and I could see that coming back in a sequel and it being sure. interesting and fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. That I could see that too, but I really don't think like I really don't think that in this movie that was intended to be the infamous venom of the Bane storyline. But yeah, that last action scene, you know, it's like after he's already caught the Riddler and he finds out that the Riddler had another plan and they set up all these bombs around the city and in, in trucks that like we're gonna break the the levees. Yeah, so. the the Riddler's big plan to get everybody's floors wet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a dick! You know, and break the levees and partially flood the city and drive people into this one place where he knows all these like like political events going on. Uh, so then his little incel followers can like assassinate them. 
in by and large, I've gotten really tired of in comic book movies where in every single one, the whole city is in danger. Yeah. Or the whole world is in danger. The fact that it's like you can't just have these more contained stories. Like if you had just caught the Riddler and that was it, I would have been satisfied. That being said, despite the fact that I have been sick of that story, those 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 uh, kind of like climaxes in in in, in, uh, in comic book movies, I think it really works here for a couple like a couple reasons. One, I think it's just really well executed. You know, it's not just big for the sake of big. You know, and a lot of like the oh the city's gonna blow up or the city's this disaster things. There's like there's no connection or personality to it. It's just like a very cheap way I think of trying to elicit our reaction out of people is like you show a random little girl and a rubble is about to hit her, you know, and the dad jumps in a way and knocks him out or the Batman jumps and knocks her out. But it's like, you have no connection to those characters. And then the faceless masses, you have no connection to them. In this one, there's a character you care about, or at least, you know, invested in operating on all these different levels of the scene. You know, they're the ones who are constantly in danger. And yeah, there's the other people too, but like we have this like kind of framework, like if something's happening in point A, Gordon's there. And if something's happening in point B, Catwoman's there, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like it all kind of fits together. Also, just from, yeah, from a choreographed aspect, it's a very well executed action scene. And then more on top of that, like this doesn't see, seems a lot more, it's not as like outlandish as just like, Oh, the aliens are coming down and they have this ray gun or we have this nuclear bomb that's going to blow up the whole city. Like this terrorist attack by the Riddler seems a lot more reminiscent of something like 9-11 or the Oklahoma City bombing. It's something that we're, you know, have experienced, if not directly, somewhat indirectly by watching these things transpire. Uh, transpire throughout the world so there's a, like a real world connection to it that makes it feel like real and plausible I didn't feel that in any way shape or form however I thought the flooding was very well executed uh, with all the people sort of tumbling around mm-hmm. uh, helpless you know and uh, on that fundamental level I think it was effective, but I didn't feel any sort of uh, emotional resonance with any uh, real life events or anything like that. I, I wouldn't say it's an emotional resonance. Like I wasn't like, oh, this made me really f- like think back about the horrors of this. It just seemed because I because there have been things that have happened in our lifetimes that are more you know similar to this than. Uh, mad scientists crazy fictional bomb like this didn't seem out of the realm of possibility you know yeah no it wasn't super outlandish it was i I bought into it right what i didn't buy into was batman all of the sudden doing crazy acrobatic wild things for a man that's for a man that's been walking around the entire movie right so i mean do you think it's that wild his acrobats 
I don't know. It really stuck out to me. I, I it really saying, like stuck in my craw. <laughs> I was like, hey, hey, we're not doing that. You get down on the ground, Batman. I think there was one part in that in that whole scene that to me felt like uh, yeah, crazy acrobatics, and that's when he just comes crashing through the the skylight and yeah. he comes down like thirty feet and lands on the pole on like the beam. Other than that, like. I didn't really feel like it was that outlandish. Like he's walking around the beams. He's knocking people off. He's fighting them. He's getting knocked down a bunch. He's kind of like dangling from stuff and can't really get back up. You know, uh, like I said, that part where like, he gets, he gets all smashed, like smashed up or something is just kind of hanging there. And the, the Riddler goon has a shotgun to his head and he's just like, well, can't do anything. Guess I'm going to die, you know, before Catwoman shows up and saves him. I was like, I love that. I love that, that it was just kind of like it made him mortal. You know, it made him like defeatable. Um, and uh, yeah, it wasn't like to me, it wasn't super outlandish in the in the acrobatics. Well, we didn't see a montage of him practicing any like springboards or like walking on his hands or anything like that. So that's true. Yeah, there's no there's no training sequence of him standing on poles, getting whacked by ninjas, or even you know? just him like doing a little bit of tumbling, like just a little bit, or like even stretching. <laughs> like we see, we see literally nothing. Yeah. Sure, I don't know. I can think. He, I really the do the think guy sleepwalks through the whole movie, and then all of a sudden, just springs to life. I guess. I mean, like that's it's not a pretty first... minor gripe, you know. Yeah. I overall, I like this movie, but I really do just think it's that one like part where he jumps down out of the skylight, where it's like that kind of feels a little bit more so than the the rest of his what his physical abilities have been prior to this but then at the same time it's like as an overall scene like i said it's just like these like strategic car bombs that have broken up a levy that seems very plausible it's not like batman begins where you know you have an imaginary weapon that's going to spread imaginary fear gas through a city on this imaginary light rail system that 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 is the world's like biggest yet also fastest light rail and uh in the world and that's going to cause like the entire city to go crazy and like cannibalize each other, you know, uh, which was a cool scene in Batman begins. I'm not saying it wasn't, but well, that's a poor example then. <laughs> no, no. I mean, <laughs> but it's the type of scene that I'm sick of, you know, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of that where it's You're like, sick of imagination and one. Yes. <laughs> and ideas that might not be plausible, but look really cool. I get yeah. it. But this one just felt like I don't know. I just thought I was like I when I when I realized there was going to be a big action scene happening like this where the whole city was in danger. I initially I was just like, oh no. And then as it actually started unfolding, I was like, oh yes, thanks. No, it's good. I I'll say though with the whole Riddler deal, I was really hoping for some kind of a 
like a saw type maze or setup for Batman to have to get out of uh, with, you know, someone in jeopardy Mm -hmm. and uh, didn't really get that. So I was kind of bummed by that, but I am not, uh, you know, letting that sort of ruin my interest in the, the movie overall. Same with the Riddler as a whole, like going back to what we were talking about earlier, like I really wanted the, my, my preferred version of the Riddler is the sort of too smart for his own good, like, um, you know, kind of a God complex rather than this shut in weirdo type. So you just really love, uh, Jim Carrey's Riddler. I think the Batman the Animated Series did a pretty great job of encompassing that really without him being too, like too goofy. Like yeah, some of the uh I guess the setups and situations were a little absurd, but he wasn't always trying to make a joke. Like he always was trying to prove a point and say something with the riddles. Isn't that what's happening in this movie? Oh, sure. But he's also like acting like a an absolute maniac. Yeah, you know, pacing back and forth in his cage at Arkham and ranting and raving, and then he's like he's doing these videos that are very reminiscent of uh, the Joker in the Dark Knight, and he's he's standing behind somebody in the dark like Michael Myers, and then bludgeoning them with a hammer while screaming wildly. It's sure. kind of like all over the place. Yeah, but I mean, like, I think that plays into a portion of like how you per- how how characters like this might perceive themselves versus how they actually appear to the the rest of us. You know, like he's doing all these things, and he's thinking that he looks so fucking cool, and that he he has so much power over everybody. And like that's what Batman says to him, like in when he's in prison, he's like, he's like, you think you're gonna be like remembered as a hero, or like people are gonna care about you? You're just gonna fade away into the existence, you know? The same conversation that Brad Pitt has with Kevin Spacey while they're riding in the fucking car to the desert. <laughs> I mean, it's like, true, I but shit I shit you not. It's this. It's yeah, it is. Exactly but I mean, it's same. like, but there's a portion of it that rings, you know, rings true of just like how these, like, you know, these people who go. I mean, like, not not to compare it, you know, a comic book movie to real events, and because I don't want to diminish the real events, but these like wackos who make these like tapes about how they're going to go and kill, shoot up a place and kill everybody, and this is going to be their moment, you know, Uh, or like I don't know, do you remember? Do you remember that? I showed, I sent you that video of that thing I saw on Unsolved Mysteries about uh, like that they how they found like this arsonist tape like on the street like somebody found like a vhs on the street and like put it in it was this arsonist talking about like look what i have done look what i've done eugene like no one knows who eugene is he's like you see what i can do your house is next and like just like ranting and raving to himself you know or fuck even like grizzly man you ever seen that yes oh let's go back to this arsonist tape real quick oh I am fascinated by this idea of like, oh, we got it on video, so it's got to be the truth, right? Sure, yeah. 
Video is a presented reality, right? If someone wanted to scare someone, they could easily film a burning house that they didn't, you know, a fire they didn't start and say something into the camera microphone in order mm-hmm. to elicit a desired response, right? Sure. Same thing with a lot of, there's a lot of videos on YouTube where people are like, oh my God, look at this creepy footage of just someone sitting in a room by themselves and this is so weird and like uh, it has a, this like creepy vibe to it and is this a snuff film? It's a video that somebody made. They put a camera there and then turned it on and then, you know what I mean? Right. I know what you mean, but I mean, there are instances like of people making things like videos like that and then actually going out and doing something terrible and then being apprehended or killed or committing suicide. I'm just saying like, regardless of whether or not that arsonist video is genuine or not, it is a genuine concept, you know, that exists. That's all I'm saying. So I think in this movie, Riddler's perception of himself is as that like smart God, like character, you know, who is wielding all this power over everybody but then we get, then we, we're, but then we're actually seeing the reality of, of it. We're not looking at it through the lens of his perspective, which is the way a normal comic book movie would do it. You know, um, we're just getting like the, the more raw uh, representation. Yeah. I mean, cons- like I said, conceptually, the, the Riddler is strong and it's, obviously a specific archetype uh relating to you know modern times but i don't know i just prefer a a different style of riddler that's just my thing you know yeah. i think it, i think it works you know pretty well within the confines of the movie but as, as the riddler goes on towards the end especially from that i i really like that scene in arkham but i think paul dano goes a little bit too nutty with it and too much by the time we get to the very final scene uh i was a little bit uh a little bit heated about that one i gotta tell you yeah i can see that the the very final scene you know what i'm talking about the final scene with riddler in it that that riddler's in or the very final scene of the movie the very final scene of the movie that didn't really wasn't really necessary when they ride away on the motorcycles no, where the Joker shows up. Oh, that act, that's not the final scene. That ha- that happens like that happens uh like 5 10 minutes before the movie actually. Yeah, ends. well that's when I shut it off. <laughs> they didn't need the Joker. We don't they did need, not the need the Joker. They did Always not need the, the Joker. Joker. Yeah, it's getting a little bit old. Like I almost feel like maybe they're like, "Can you put the Joker in somehow?" And he's like, "Okay." All it did was point out, like, and reinforce the similarities right. of the Riddler, and make him look like kind of just kind of like a a knockoff. I was super bummed. Hey, let's uh, think outside the box here. Like, there's right. a ton of awesome villains to work with. Oh sure, yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, in the sense that, like, yeah, I feel like. There has there there might have been like a studio mandate to be like we got to put the most popular character in at least somewhere right no and I get um, it you know that's at the end of the day like these properties are created in order to make money 
and right. there's licensing opportunities and and all these additional things that you know I, it's I not a hundred percent a creative decision. I there I had more issues with like um, I'm not a big fan of it of that inclusion in, in there either. But it didn't it just the inclusion of that little snippet didn't ruin it for me. I more have problems with it being like oh the Joker's all scarred up again or he has some sort of you know, physical disease, you know, skin disease. And that's why he looks weird, like weird. And yeah. The real maybe, joke is his hygiene. Right. And then maybe that's, you know, maybe he has like this, like he like has all these extra teeth in his mouth. It's like kind of forcing his mouth into a smile. And maybe that's like me. He got bullied. For oh, like a looked, shark. That's why he's crazy. He's got like you a know? rows of teeth, like a shark. I had, and even though he's not in like the makeup in this, you know, which I think is a good call. I think it was still just a little too much, and just like in in Dark Knight, Joker is all scarred up. Well, what if we made him extra scarred up? You know, what if he just like he's deformed? You know, and like villains are always deformed because deformed people are bad. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Yeah, that I wasn't too keen on. I there is a deleted scene of um, where the word Joker would have showed up earlier in the movie, where Batman goes to like. They bump into each other at Seven Eleven. They're at Seven Eleven. He's like, "Hey, well, how's it going?" They're uh, both I'm... trying to wheeze the juice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, he goes to like interrogate him, like or get his opinion, kind of like Hannibal Lecter style about the Riddler. And while I also think that scene's unnecessary, it probably would have been a better way of working him into the story because it would have at least served some sort of purpose rather than just being like, oh, look, here's the Joker. It's a cool idea mm. on its own, but for the Joker to have insights about other criminals seems weird. Yeah. Like he's sort of, like he's supposed to be like a fringe sort of character and not right. really like operating on the same level as mm-hmm. these other guys. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that would have worked for me. I don't think it would have worked, worked. I just think it would have been slightly better than what what there was. I'll tell yeah. you what I, I you, really If do you like. had to have him in there. I like this notion of the Riddler being at the orphanage. Mm-hmm. And what if this orphanage... <laughs> what if the life path from this orphanage is... Uh, if you were in this orphanage uh, from you know this period of five years, like you're gonna become a a super villain and then end up in Arkham, <laughs> like you graduate uh, to to living in Arkham after your your villain arc. I think that would be kind of interesting. And Batman's like, oh shit, my dad created all these villains, uh, by you know dying and not having this renewal, uh you know, fund, uh, actually help people. I think it would be cool if there's like a realization that that is how Riddler is a product of that, you know, which I mean, there is within the terms of the movie, but like if that's something that Batman himself has to explore more, um, what did he know, say? In, he was like every winter, one of the babies die or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Like if Batman has to, if Bruce Wayne has to explore this more internally and and relate that to how he proceeds in the future, great. I think it would be kind of silly if like there's just like you said, like well, I'm graduating from Orphan Academy and now I'm in the Supervillain Academy, 
You know, if like if there's just like, if there's just a steady supply of villains coming directly from of costume villains coming directly from the orphanage, I don't know about that. Yeah, Two Face shows up and he's like, "Yeah, I was in that orphanage when I was yeah. two. and clayface shows up and he's like i took an art class at that orphanage (laughs) in sculpting okay while i don't want this to be a part of the movie i do want this to be like a sub series like an animated saturday morning cartoon you know or a Disney Channel original story, or of like you know, of like Disney kids do, doing the, <laughs> doing these stories. Um, no, for as much as I'm talking about how much I love this movie and how crazy good I think it is, there are things I even don't like about it. Uh, Dory the maid. What I love Dory the maid. I don't have anything against her, but I'm like, why is she even in this movie? Because it's unrealistic for them to not have a staff for a facility that large. I agree. It's insane. I completely agree. But then it's just like this one lady named Dory who pops up twice and says like, oh, uh, good thing I was here to open answer the phone this time, you know? Or I actually love the scene where uh, Bruce is frantically driving home because he knows Alfred's going to get exploded. And he calls Dory and finally gets through and she's like, it's too late. Like they yeah. do the Watchmen thing, where it's like the the awful thing already happened. That's no, that's a good scene in and of itself. That's a good scene, and it's like the way it unfolds. Absolutely, I agree. I just wish that if you're going to in, in, interject this character in there, maybe have a scene with her and Alfred, like talking about what they're gonna, you know, yeah, what, the, what, the, what has to be done that day. Yeah, set up the. Re- yeah, set up the whole sort of uh, uh, network and and the right. function. Because currently she just almost feels like an Adams Family character who like pops her head out from behind a dark corner and is like, don't eat that, you know, and sticks her head back. That's not a line that actually happens, but it's there are equivalents thereof, you know. Yeah. Um, I really don't like how everybody just refers to him as venge- Batman as vengeance. Because, you know, there's that opening scene where like he goes, he's like beating up the goons. And they go, who are who are you supposed to be? And he goes, I'm Vengeance, right? That's fine. They think I'm, that's his name, right? But even <laughs> if they thought that was his name, you know, it's like, it's, but it's that, also a good riff because, like, why if he didn't want to be called that, why does he keep saying that shit to people? He's he's sort of he's he's asking people to treat him a certain way. I mean, the only by problem uttering have, ridiculous lines like that. The only problem I have with people who keep referring him to his vengeance as vengeance is he says that line at the beginning to some goons that he just beats up. And then after that, like every character other than the Riddler refers to him as vengeance. Yeah. You know, he's never, he never introduces himself as vengeance. There's no like news report, like the vigilante known as vengeance who dresses up like a bat that some people have nicknamed the Batman. You know, it's not like, He's presented himself to the world like he's left a note, I'm vengeance, you know, blah, 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 right? I don't like how, you know, just characters throughout the movie just randomly call him that. What I do like, though, however, is that he says that at the beginning and then when someone asks one of the Riddler goons, uh, like, who are you? Like, he just goes, and the Riddler goon says, I'm vengeance, right? And the Batman kind of has this weird realization that oh yeah maybe i'm not that different from these guys and yes it's heavy-handed 
to a certain degree, but it works. And if it had just been more of a coincidence, I think that would have been uh, worked a little better. Or like I said, if there was something like it was a known commodity, like that every prior to this, everyone like that was a thing. People called him vengeance, but it was instead of it just being like a coincidence left and right that everyone's calling him vengeance 25 times a day. No, I think that that ending scene or that scene in the climax works very well, even though it is heavy handed. It it has to be in order to provide that like that wake up call, you know, for someone who is so obsessed, they need like almost like a slap in the face, you know, to be like, look, this is what you've started. This is what you've inspired. Are you happy now? Is this what you wanted? Mm hmm. Exactly, yeah. So that aspect of it is really works. It's just, I don't know. It just. But yeah, listening to wish... other people like call him that is super cringy and yeah, embarrassing. Yeah, I wish they just like admitted that or at least established that that was what he was currently going by. Uh, uh, I think this is the best version of the Catwoman to date, but there's something about it that's still a little wonky. I, I mean, they're still just treating it as a side character. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just not fleshed out enough. I mean, uh, there's maybe... lots of, like, backstory and all this. Like, I'm, you know, uh, so-and-so's daughter who you wronged, and I'm here to get revenge, but also I'm going to help my friend who, you know, was uh, wronged by you and all this stuff, and that's all fine. I mean, maybe it's just too much a, a problem of there being too many characters and you can't, you either should have given her more or a little bit less in the movie. It's just a very like with. basic like revenge story. Yeah. I'm way more interested in uh, like Catwoman as this like high level, you know, thief with uh, some kind of like muddled like code mm-hmm. that she goes by. Um, but you know, it's hard to fit all that into somebody else's movie. I don't know. Yeah. I think it was and I fine. Mean, it was definitely fine. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe it was stuff like where it was just like, maybe there was, they tried to keep it a little bit too much like the comic book still. Like she has a whip for, you know, maybe that should, wasn't necessary in this. That seemed a little out of place given the context of everything else. Um, I think Zoe Kravitz was way more believable than Anne Hathaway. Well, Anne Hathaway is like, I don't think, I think her performance in that movie is good, but the way her character is written and like designed. Yeah. Is I think where a lot of the flaws are. And I just hate that thing that she just has like her thief goggles, but when she puts them up, they're cat ears. You know, and that actually like, worked for me. I was like, I'll buy that. It's just an accident. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't I, on purpose. But I mean, that's the part of the thing. It's like, it's just an accident. And it's like, oh, like, oh, I'm a costumed villain by accident. Well, no one calls like... her Catwoman. No, I know no one calls her Catwoman. Because but it's that's like, stupid. It is stupid. Like, you know, like, only crazy people like Batman call themselves Batman and come up with these, yeah. with their, these names. That's fine. I like the fact that in this movie, she just kind of liked cats and had cats, you know? Yeah. And I guess, like, when she put, I mean, when she puts her, like, a... Like a uh, like like hockey or ski mask on, it kind of like the seams kind of make cat ears, and I thought that was subtle enough, you know. That well, there's also like... lots of uh, like beanies and and masks right. and stuff that have like little cat nub ears like that. So 
yeah, it's it subtle. It's not like super loud and obnoxious. It's like, I mean, I just maybe like something like maybe it was. I think it was maybe specifically the whip just seemed a little much to me and kind of like tipped the scales where I was just like, okay, yeah. like you're not fleshed out enough that I'm going to overlook the whip. I'm going to focus on the whip. Or maybe even something like if Batman said, like, ask her, where did you learn to fight? You know, because just out of the blue, she's like doing like very impressive martial arts. But there's right. never like, you know, there's never based on what we learn about her character. There's nothing to suggest that she would be a martial arts expert. You right. know, yeah, like I said, definitely the best Catwoman to date, but still a little wonky. Um, and I also the reveal that the Carmen Falcone was her father didn't have the impact that they were clearly going for no i was just kind of like okay i guess that explains uh, what's going why why they why there's a connection between them yeah i was really not invested in any of those sort of interwoven subplots like i don't know i'm just i'm so far like over all of that stuff i don't i just have no interest in it at all Well, I mean, to a large degree, it's just kind of like a, it's just, they're just plot devices that motivate the story. Um, yeah. And again, like I, I might feel differently, like with a little bit more breathing room, you know, maybe if they don't make any more uh, Batman movies for like five years, but I don't know. I've just like, you know, in my lifetime, I've seen a lot of Batman movies and right. It's it's hard to watch the same thing over and over again. That was that was something Spider-Man Homecoming did right. They really freshened up that character. Like it was it was like a breeze and a joy to watch uh those uh was it Tom Holland? Yes. Uh Spider-Man movies. Like they were really just uh well, it didn't you know- it didn't feel like a retread. It didn't feel like you know something with a new coat of paint on top of it i mean i think to honestly i think this is actually a credit to tom holland because i think in some ways those movies were a retread uh but tom holland is like oh wait let's actually cast someone who embodies the spirit of spider-man and then yeah oh wow our movies are way better now you know uh but yeah i do think this the spider-man movies are like highlights in the I the villains the were great too. I didn't think I I had the the Mysterio stuff uh, spoiled for me, uh-huh. even though I suspected it. But like up until it was spoiled, I was like almost they had they they had me going for a second. I was like, oh, Mysterio is a villain. He's a bad guy. What is this bullshit of him pretending? You know, you can't fool me. And then it they pushed it and pushed it and pushed it, and I was like. Maybe they're doing something completely like radically different. See, the, and then yeah, the when Myster- I watched the movie, and the story was fantastic. Yeah, I think the Mysterio stuff works because works as well as it did. Because if you're, I mean, Mysterio is not the most well-known character, so to more casual comic book fans or movie watchers, they're not necessarily going to know who Mysterio is. Yeah. So going in, like, they might think that Mysterio is a new hero. And then the the uh, the um, the reveal would have been uh, the reveal would have been a surprise. Right. Then for people like us who know that he's a villain, 
but also know that the that these movies change a lot of stuff. We could be like, oh, is the twist going to be that he's not a villain? That is, yeah. he is just a good guy the whole time. So you're you're watching it kind of be like, oh yeah, maybe he is. Maybe that maybe that's the change. Maybe he is that he is the hero in this, and we're expecting him to be the villain, and he never becomes a villain, and then he becomes a villain. And you're like, oh okay, he is a villain. So it's like, it's not shocking, but it's fun, you know. I don't know what you just said, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> Mysterio good, Catwoman bad. Catwoman okay. No, Catwoman fine. Catwoman uh, fine. Yeah. Maybe could, maybe gets to do more fun stuff in the next movie. No, I here's the thing, uh man, this Batman shit is uh it's real dark and broody and like overly dramatic and everything with the voiceovers and like I'm standing in the rain and it's drizzling over me like a thousand slithering snakes and and all this shit it's still cool well, that was actually really good you sounded like a lot like Robert Pattinson <laughs> that's exactly what he sounds like <laughs> he was, was spot on because I just I like, watched it and I was like yeah. what the fuck <laughs> this is the goddamn most ridiculous stuff I've ever heard but uh it it is it, it that's the thing. Depending on my mood, I'm like, this is the lamest shit I've ever heard. Or you know, in the next minute, I'm like, no, nah, this is really cool. This is awesome. So I don't know. It's a great movie. I think the whole like the dark, moody aesthetic works in yeah. this scenario, and the constant rain and everything, and even the Nirvana song. Dude, I am not a Nirvana fan at all, and that song works so good in this movie. It's great. I would have also accepted. Uh, Needle in the Hay by Elliot Smith. That would have worked. I'm all same. Not a Elliot Smith fan, but that song would have worked in this. Yeah. Uh, in this in this movie. I was thinking about. I was going to ask you to make a video where it was like, uh, uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman, and but like cut back and forth with uh, Richie Tenenbaum. Oh yeah, I could do that. <laughs> like looking in the mirror. <laughs> um, yeah, with that song playing, good. I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be awesome." Uh, um, yeah, I mean, all that set aside, like I think just by bottom line, like this is like a genuine achievement in comic book movies, and just like an awesome movie in and of itself, comic books aside. And I think that's particularly impressive. Given the fact that, like what you said, we've seen so many Batman movies, we've seen so many comic book movies, and I still left the theater stoked, you yeah. know? And this was, like, for me, too, like I said, I saw in the theater, and it was one of the first movies I saw in the theater, like, after the, you know, the height of the pandemic, like, everything shutting down and, you know, just not really doing anything for, like, almost two years. I, th- I think this is the second or third movie I saw in the theater. Um, and it was like, yeah, an, an awesome experience. And, and like, you know, I don't want to get on anyone's opinion because like about, you know, over like any individual person's opinion. Cause like your favorite Batman movie could be Batman forever. And that's cool. Like, that's what you like, but it does seem there's just like this, like nerd fervor. It's like that nothing can be better than the dark Knight. And it's just because it kind of looked like a Michael Mann movie, you know, it kind of looked like heat, but with Batman in it. And like, this is just not the case. Like, just like move on and be open to something different. You know, I like on a technical achievement, this movie 
is amazing. Like I was shocked. I mean, not that the Oscars don't mean anything, but I was shocked that it wasn't nominated for best cinematography. Yeah. Yeah. That to me, that was like, that was crazy. You know? Uh, so I was just like, there's, I mean, like, well, this is one of the best looking movies I've seen in years. Yeah. And there was a, so there many was... of those like sizzle shots from the trailer, uh-huh. uh, you know, in a, in a lot of scenarios, you once you see those shots in context in the movie, they sort of lose some of their uh, shine and yeah. and aren't as exciting. Here, they are arguably better once they're in the context of the movie. Like the you know a Batman fighting the goons in the darkness with just the gun, like the muzzle flashes illuminating oh, yeah. everything. That is unbelievable. So cool. And even just there's some other shots too, like uh, after Batman gets uh, blown up, you know, he gets blown up by that bomb. Mm-hmm. Remember that one? Yeah. And then they take him to the uh, police precinct and try to revive him. And then he wakes up and he's like very uncomfortable around all those cops. And yeah. That I for some reason I am just mesmerized by that whole scene. But that the look of that with him in the police precinct, just surrounded by cops and just sort of like acting very cagey and uncomfortable is like that thing sticks in my mind so hard. Like I can't get that out of my head. Yeah. Whereas like that, like the flip side of that is that scene in the dark night where Batman's interrogating the Joker in a bright interrogation room. And it just kind of feels weird. Yeah. And out of place. Even if like their interactions like cool, like the whole to me the whole scene just kind of is like, eh, I don't know if they would let this happen. Uh um yeah, I'm hundred percent agree with you about that scene. That scene is awesome and leads to like one of the best set pieces of the movie. Um no complaints here. So as, uh, let's see. I think that might be wrapping it up. Do you have anything else you want to add as a final note or something you absolutely hated, loved? I would love to see, as ridiculous as it sounds, I would love to see a killer croc in this world. Okay. I'm not dismissing this, but I'm just curious as how, because I've heard a lot, like there's just been... I don't know if you've seen this on the internet, but it's kind of like this thing that like people just kind of latched onto because Mike Flanagan, who's in no way involved in these current movies in passing said, he's like, Oh, you know, I've always liked Clayface. It would be fun to make a Clayface movie some someday. And then people are like going, Clayface is the perfect villain for Matt Reeves, the Batman too. It's gotta be Clayface, 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 which he would not, in in the iterations of Clayface that we've had in the comic books, even the very first Clayface, which was just like an actor with a mask, it really wouldn't fit unless you'd made some wild changes. No, you'd have to make it so that it was like um, a maybe maybe the actor was like obsessed with getting surgery and changed his face constantly, but you couldn't do the like transforming like right overdose on you know experimental face cream like all that whole gimmick like no way 
that would not work. I think uh, Killer Croc you could do a little more grounded and, you know, have him have him sort of uh, this guy living in the sewers and, like, give it, like, a almost like an alien vibe. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Clayface definitely is not... Uh, that's, like, way too out there. I def- love Clayface, but I don't think it would... He doesn't. He doesn't translate to like live action serious. No, and I mean, you, you know, Clayface is. They, there are real life, you know, alligator people and people with skin conditions, and you know, all these things you could play off. He doesn't have to be a, an actual alligator man, right? Per se. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It just seemed. It just just to me like that character, like putting transposing him in, into the real world, is just is just kind of like. A little too coincidental, you know, type of thing. Like, oh, you got this guy who dresses up as a bat, and now there's this villain who just has a skin condition that makes him look like a crocodile. Yeah. Uh, and it's also like, yeah, like deformed people are bad people type of thing. Um, or people with, you know, not only want to say deformed, but just like conditions. Uh, no, deformed people are treated badly. Yes. And society absolutely. creates its own monsters. I mean, true, yeah, sure, but I mean, like, I don't, it still suggests that, like, if you get bullied for, you know, having an extra finger, you're going to become a, a, a murderous supervillain, you know, if that's the 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 repeated depictions that we have. Well, yeah, like, the Riddler um, was, uh, you know, treated badly as an orphan, and that turned him into a criminal. Yeah, but it's not like... That is just solely the situation rather than like saying there's also plenty of orphans from that orphanage that didn't kill people. There's, there's, you know, it's not saying like, oh, if you have this abnormality, you're going to end up being bad. And, and that's what we often see in movies, you know, like think of an albino or somebody with an albinism in a movie and they're a villain. You know? But they're usually treated as like an angelic, like biblical figure. Like in uh, what's that movie, Powder? Okay, that I mean, or that, or that it's like they're mad, they're magic angels. You yeah, know? they are magic angels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think maybe like Black Mask would be a good a good follow up villain. I think he would work for sure. I just not. I have very little interest in more uh, just mob type organized yeah. crime people. What movie yeah, was I he think in? He was in Birds of Prey, but oh, and execute. I mean, I, yeah, I just that uh, movie what's off, his name? The Star Wars guy, Ewan McGregor. Yeah, but I mean, I just think in the sense that he's kind of too like, and maybe it wouldn't work because they already played it up with Riddler, but like he is a kind of a direct re- reaction to Batman and the mask and becoming obsessed with ma- a mask. Yeah. You know, and being like, okay, like you want to be scary. I'll show you scary, you know, mm-hmm. type of things. Uh, so maybe that would have worked if he was the, f- it would have worked better if he was the villain in the first movie and then Riddler was the better villain in the second movie, but it would be hard to reverse the order. If that, if that makes sense. Sure. Anyway, great movie. You've, I'm sure you've all seen it and don't care about this episode and like why are we talking about it, but I wanted to talk about it. So there you go. I mostly wanted to talk about it because you saw the movie finally. We hadn't really talked about it that much. Yeah, and then my opinion was pretty unremarkable to be honest. So <laughs> sorry for the sorry for the letdown, but no hot uh, takes. It's it's still pretty good, even if I got some. I got a few, 
few things I didn't particularly like, but it's still like an exceptionally well-made movie and yeah, yeah. arguably the best Batman movie that we've got. So, yeah. uh, what are you going to do? I don't know. Go back and watch the 1940s Batman serials starring Robert Donut. No. No, it's, it's, not, it's not Robert Donut. It's somebody else with also named Donut. You were right, though. Like, there is something to the this idea that, like, if, you know, depending on when Batman hit you uh, as your sort of cultural touchstone, like, if it hits you in your formative years, like, you're, you're married to the Nolan films or you're married to, uh, you know, Tim Burton's Batman or uh, even the Adam West Batman. You know, there's lots of people who think there's that's untouchable and you don't get any better than the campy Batman. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, I was a oh, kid you, when... You think you're perfectly objective when it comes to I don't to think film. I'm perfectly objective, but I mean, I was a kid when the, the first... Uh, Michael Keaton Batman came out and there had never been anything like that before. It was a crazy movie. It was awesome. Yeah. Michael Keaton's fucking rad in the movie. And I still, you know, and now X amount of years later, you know, with like that, it's surplanted as a formative like movie of my childhood. I'm still like, Oh no, this one's better. Yeah. But it's also, like you said, it's like, it's hard to compare the two because that one's so much in its own world. But still, if I had to choose, which one I'm going to say is the best Batman movie, it's going to be this one. I'd say in terms of being, like, perfectly cohesive, I'd say that probably Tim Burton probably nailed it. In, in terms of, like, all the, the the tone of all the characters and the rogues gallery and the world all matching up, I think that all, like, fit together probably more perfectly than any other, but... Sure, I can see. I can see. I can see that. We'll see. We'll see if there's more uh, Matt Reeves bullshit on the horizon. Yeah, so I'm that's... interested to see uh, what he's got up his sleeve. So yeah, that'll that will we'll wait for that, and that pretty much sums up this episode. Keith, uh, do we know what we're doing next? Do you have one in the? I know we had a few. Have we decided? Or you could even just pick one right now. Yeah, man. Like just... I said at the uh, shout out to everybody who showed up to the Alien Resurrection screening at uh, the Hereafter. Oh, yeah, I can't believe we didn't even mention that. Theater, that was awesome. Uh, congrats to all the people who walked home with Trash Heap merch. Send us some glamour shots, please. But, and thanks, uh, to the, thanks to the Belltown Film Society for putting all that on. Yeah, what a great crew they got over there. Hopefully we can do that again. Uh, keep checking out movies that they hear after. That's one of the great secret spots to watch movies in Seattle. Holy oh, shit, yeah. that place is rad. But, uh, yeah, like I told the uh, thirsty audience there, uh, I think up next we got uh, Reign of Fire and maybe Gentleman Broncos. And also, Ellie, your sister wants us to do uh, that cat movie, Josie and the Pussycats. That is never going to happen. I don't know. Take it up with Margot, baby. You can do an episode with her, I guess, but fine by me. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that'll be great. I'll just sit one out. Oh, my God. You won't even do a podcast with your own sister? You're history's greatest monster. Not if if it's that movie. Some other movie? (laughs) Sure. Why not? I ain't wasting my time on that bullshit. All right. All right. Well, I guess that sums it up for today. Uh, We're going to get out of here. And, Keith, what do you always say? Your father was a good man. 
And until next time, the dumpster is closed. Goodbye, everyone. Everybody go back to doing what you were doing.